the strategies that's gaining more traction in research is this idea of accepting your emotions and saying, okay, you know, COVID's really stressful. I feel really anxious right now about whatever it is that I'm doing. And that's okay because this is a really stressful time. And it's totally natural that in this situation, I would feel anxious and not, like I said, beating yourself up about that emotion and then feeling other emotions on top of that because you're you know, not happy with how you're feeling. That was a clip from Liz and I's interview with Professor Jennifer Steller, who was answering my question about toxic positivity. This idea that when we experience negative emotions, we should just think positively or just ignore it. Professor Jennifer Steller teaches an introduction to social psychology class at UTM, and that was where I first met her. It was so fun connecting with her again for this interview, and she's going to be talking a lot more about her journey to becoming professor and different lessons that she's learned along the way. And you have to make hard decisions, but you, I do think you need to prioritize your well-being and protect that time. And for me, a lot of that is social time um, and, and being with other people and COVID makes that really hard. And so, um, you know, I've had to work extra hard to find ways to meet people in a way that's socially distanced or to schedule Zoom meetings and find ways to enjoy them socially and not just use Zoom meetings for work and things like that. So I would say at least if anything, the my work has shown me it's convinced me of the importance of building those things into your your schedule. And I think that's something that can get lost easily in the shuffle of trying to juggle courses and um, other commitments that you might have, work commitments, things like that. On Friday at 5 p.m., we won't be busy. And for that time that we're together, we're going to do anything else but school. And that's exactly what we did. And putting that um, time block to say, okay, we're going to hang out at this time kind of forced both of us to work our hardest and say, okay, we're going to do all of this work. We're going to have it done on Friday at 5 p.m. And if it's not done, sucks because we're prioritizing something else. We put our, our relationship uh, first uh when it came to like having breaks so instead of me having some downtime and her having some downtime separately when things got really busy we said okay we're gonna have our downtime together and we're gonna make it work somehow and that was our features editor jaros or most people know him professionally as ricardo valdez He's talking about him and his relationship with his girlfriend Lou and how they were able to set aside time for each other. It's interesting how both Professor Jennifer Steller and Jaros realized the importance of cultivating social relationships. But as we all know, it's not always easy whether you are in school or in university. I am a postgrad now. I finished, I graduated from school um, just the past June. And even to this day, I'm finding that I still encounter a lot of the same problems with burnout, with taking time to rest, and setting aside time for relationships with my friends. And the only person that's going to defend you against that is yourself. So if you're not going to stand up for yourself and protect yourself against that, maybe you'll have a loving partner who will try to do that for you, but you really need to be the person that does it for yourself. And for me, um, you know, 
that is, I do very tangible things. Like I block out time in my Google calendar because I use a Google calendar for things that are restorative for me. Welcome to episode four of the Medium the Message podcast. I am so excited to be here because today's episode is going to be a lot more casual, a lot more um, relatable, I hope. We're going to be talking about the student experience, um, topics such as burnout, relationships, and how to meet friends even in the pandemic. Um, I'm super excited because we have Professor Jennifer Steller who will be talking about her research and we also have um, our features editor and my good friend Jaros who's going to be sharing about his university experience. So I guess our first question just to get to know you a little bit more. What did you want to be when you were younger and did you always imagine yourself as a professor, a researcher, even a TED Talk speaker? No, I didn't actually. Uh, I had two two professions I was interested in, both of which are very different than what I do today. One was that I wanted to be an animal show host. So I wanted to like travel around. I love animals um, and I have pets and, and I've always loved animals. So I, I thought how fun would it be to like host my own show and get to like travel around the world and see different animals. That was probably my pipe dream as like a, a very little kid. Uh, and then when I went to undergrad, I actually majored in anthropology because I was convinced I wanted to be an archaeologist and I would, same theme, travel around the world, but I was going to, you know, unearth amazing treasures uh, from ancient cultures. And then I took a few courses and it just wasn't for me. Um, and I had psychology as a minor and I ended up making it a major and really liking it. And so I switched over to focusing more on that. And through lots of sort of random different decisions, I ended up where I am today. Do you get to travel the world? You know, I did get to travel the world because my partner and I love traveling and we made it sort of our hobby. So I have traveled, but not as unfortunately an animal talk show host or, or show host and not as a uh, archaeologist. But yes, I have traveled quite a bit, luckily. For like me. a good compromise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then if you could just kind of describe your journey in terms of like education and how you began your work at U of T and your research. Sure. So um, it started really with my undergrad honors thesis. Um, I went to University of Pennsylvania in the States and I had a really wonderful advisor who studied all sorts of things, but was willing to study well-being and what promotes well-being. And so I, I just learned that I loved research, decided I wanted to go to grad school and keep doing it. I went to California, um, to the University of California in Berkeley to work with Professor Dacker Keltner, who was known for studying more positive emotions because I got really interested in emotions, but I was still trying to figure out, you know, the good side of human beings, the, the human nature that makes us kind and caring um, and connected to each other. And so I started working with him on compassion, which has been an enduring theme in my work. And slowly over time, I started adding other emotions like awe and gratitude that I think have similar functions in terms of bonding us to other people and connecting us um, to things that are larger than ourselves. And that sort of led me here uh, to University of Toronto where I was fortunate enough for them to take a chance and give me a job. And that's what I've been studying ever since. And it's led to all sorts of other projects on empathy and cooperation and 
uh, well-being, but it's really centered on, uh, for the most part, how different kinds of emotions can promote our health and happiness and our connection to other people. Yeah, it's so cool to hear your journey because I think a lot of students nowadays are always kind of wondering, oh, what should I do next? And it was cool to hear how you kind of just followed along with what you really loved to do. And that's where you started to realize that you love research and compassion and you added other emotions. And I guess my question now is, uh, you've been assistant professor for, since 2016, I saw on your website. And so have you had any favorite memories um, being a professor here or how has that been? That's a great question. I mean, I, I love running experiments, which might sound really nerdy, but some of my favorite memories are when we're, we're running an experiment and, um, you know, things are working and the research assistants who are working with me are, you know, enjoying themselves and the participants are learning about themselves in the process of doing the experiment. And if all goes well, it's leading to the results that we're expecting. So I think that's some of my favorite memories is, is really in the lab with my research assistants, with my grad students, problem solving, running studies, talking about ideas. Um, I love teaching as well. Uh, and so I've had the luck to teach big classes and small classes, and there's lots of different benefits to each. But really engaging with other people has been, I mean, I'm a psychologist because I want to understand and study other people. So for me, engaging with other people whether that's teaching or doing research has been really my favorite part of being a professor. So obviously the pandemic has brought on so many emotions, both new and old, um, and things like fear and loneliness and grief and anxiety um, and dissociating from reality and not understanding what's going on. So. I guess our first question is kind of going on your theme of, you seem to be a very optimistic person, at least from the research you've chosen. I try. There you go. So what, I guess we're going to start with like, instead of analyzing the bad things, what advice would you give to someone seeking mental health, um, well-being or mental health resources or anything like that during this pandemic in particular? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of elements to cultivating and maintaining your well-being and and of course it's going to take multiple different strategies to try and to really holistically do that but i would say you know one of the things i try and do is actually try and separate the positive and negative we have a tendency especially in western culture to really think of them as like the more negative i feel the less positive the more positive the less negative i feel that they're they're related but they can actually be separated and so thinking about what things aren't going well, what strategies you can use to, to try and combat those, but also thinking about what is going well, what you want to go well, what you're hoping for and working towards that. So I think my advice would be to try and chip away at this larger question of like, how can I be happy in this really complicated time is, is breaking it down into smaller pieces. What isn't going well that I want to work on and what do I aspire to? What do I hope to, or even what is going well that I should be focusing my attention on and not forgetting about. It wasn't until I was in university when I really learned about mental health and mental well-being and how to take care of it myself. Even though I had experienced um, difficulties in high school, but um, only in university did I really become aware of the thoughts that I was thinking and the feelings that I was feeling and how to handle those and how to cope with those. And So I decided to ask Jaros about his experience with mental health and when he first came to really understand it. 
His reply was really interesting, actually. I had heard about his experience switching majors a bit earlier, but he dives a little bit more into um, the challenges that he had faced and what that taught him about mental well-being, productivity, and burnout. Um, but first, let's take a listen about the story of how we first met. So, Elisa and I met back in September of 2020. So, it was the first semester uh, where we were like fully online and it was at an independent, uh, independent studies course um, with Guy Allen. So, I remember being stoked at the time because only five people can get in that course. And I was like, oh my God, I'm one of five. I can't wait to meet the other people in here. Even though we're doing this remotely, I'm sure we're all like super like good writers. And I don't know, I can't wait to be inspired by these people and learn from these people. And yeah, honestly, I feel like that semester went by really fast. But at the same time, it was really nice to, you know, be able to have those weekly uh, meetings because I don't know if you remember but we met every Saturday evening <laughs> and yeah. it seemed kind of crazy um, but we made it work and it was great yeah I I think that was that class was one of my highlights because I think that was when the pandemic first started and so we were really shifting into like getting used to online school and most classes are on the bigger side, but I feel like ours was really special because since there were only five people and which I was also really like excited for and kind of proud to be chosen to join that class. Um, but it was nice because it, there was a, we were able to connect like on those sun on those Saturdays and also just talk about like how we were doing and like help each other edit. But I was going to add on, it was kind of funny because your memory of when we met is different from my memory of when we met because oh, I, I, cause we actually had oral rhetoric together. And then uh, I remember you were in that class and you were sharing um, uh, a talk about smoking weed. <laughs> <laughs> and so we never talked like in that class, but I remember you because I think when that was when the pandemic first started. And so we didn't end up having to do our final presentation like in person. But I remember you volunteered to like share in the office hours your talk. And I was like, like most people were kind of shy, shy. We were getting still used to like the Zoom context, but then like you were sharing it. So I was like, oh yeah, like I remember that guy, like he would ask pretty good questions in class and stuff. And then we met officially like afterwards. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. I guess it's it's funny because it's happened to me a couple of times where people like I'll talk to people from writing classes and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, like I had you in that course. And I'm like, really? I usually never paid attention to who was in my classes uh, when I was in person. But I find that that completely changed once everything went online, because I feel like you really got to see everybody's faces, even if nobody talked uh, you could still see like their little squares sometimes with the pictures on them, yeah. um, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're working now, and now it's cool because we get to work together at the medium. And so Jaros is our features editor. And um, can you tell us a little bit about how that's going? It's going pretty great. I love this position. I'm still 
um, dumbfounded by the fact that I get to work with amazing people um, and work at the medium. I mean, I'm graduated now. I found out about the medium when I was in my third year. And at that time I was like, man, like I was still trying to figure out if I wanted to be a writer or not. Uh, and being able to volunteer my writing and have it published uh, on paper was such an awesome feeling that I was like, okay, I think writing is my passion and being published now kind of like sets that, uh, like sets the start of this journey. When did you personally start to understand mental health a little better? Yeah, it was uh, in university. So uh, for those of you who don't know, it took me six years to graduate. And so in the first three years of university, I was completely lost in what I wanted to do. I wasn't doing really great in school. Um, by the end of my first year, I actually ended um, with like a 1.49 GPA and the university like sent me a letter saying that if I didn't get up my grades by my second year, uh, then I would be kicked off. And that really sounded my alarm. And I was like, okay, something is going on here. It's not that I'm not a good student because I was a good student in high school. It's more, there was something that wasn't clicking uh, in my first year. And going into my second one, it was really, a difficult uh, transition because at first I was like, okay, I need to take easier courses uh, to boost my grades. Um, and that's exactly what I did, but it ended up being even worse because I wasn't doing well in those courses either. And like the bird course, quote unquote, um, wasn't doing too great on, in those either. And I was like, okay, it's not the courses. I think it's just where I am right now. Like, I don't wanna be doing this. At the time I was like, I guess, following my, what my parents wanted me to do. And so what in my- majoring in? Um, so in my first year, I was in physical and chemical sciences. I hadn't chosen any programs by the end of my first year because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I was in UTM because of my parents uh, they wanted me to become an engineer, uh, but I wasn't really into it. Uh, so I, I, we ended up agreeing at UTM. And so I was kind of like doing it for them. And that's why I was failing. So by the end of my second year, um, actually my second semester of second year, somebody told me, hey, um, if you really want to boost your grades, you should take a writing course uh, called Creative Writing. Uh, it's really easy. All you have to do is like write about your life. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I was like, okay, sure. Why not? I ended up taking it. I did good. It wasn't my best class and I didn't completely love it at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was like, okay, like this writing thing is something new that I can dip uh, my toes in that I want to keep exploring. And then um, I tried it again with science and writing with Guy Allen. And that course was really what pushed me there. Um, because at that time I was like, okay, my parents really want me to do something that's science-based. And I love 
science. Don't get me wrong. I don't love chemistry though. I like physics. Um, uh, but I was like, okay, so I'm doing science and I'm also doing writing, which is something that like interests me. So it was like kind of like this realization moment that it's like, oh my God, I have been doing my university career wrong this entire time. I really should have been following my gut and um, doing what I wanted to do. And so that's when I told my parents, I'm like, hey, guys, uh, sorry, backtrack. I did really good in science and writing. It was the first course that I had gotten. I think I ended up with like an 87. Oh, my gosh. And, it, yeah, and I was like, OK, this is it. Right. So then I went up to my parents and I told them, guys, listen, I think I know what I want to do. There's this writing program and I think it's for me right? Nothing else in university really, really uh, appeals to me. And it was a huge conversation that I had with my parents. Uh, and we finally landed on, sure, you can stick with writing as long as you also do physics and math, which I had no problem with. I was good at, uh, at math uh, in high school. So yeah. I was like, hey, done deal. And so that's what I did. I majored with a PWC. Uh, Sorry, I majored in PWC and a physics and math double minor. So to answer your question of when I started realizing mental health, it was uh, in that transition from going into what my parents wanted me to do and what I wanted to do. And that's when my grades started going up as well. Yeah, well, the thing about emotions, and I always say this in my course, is that they're everywhere. They're, you, you, you rarely have a day that goes by that you don't feel emotions. And in fact, I would say, like, I hope you don't have a day that goes by without emotions. And so the emotions that we have are really providing us real-time feedback on what's happening in our lives. You may be doing all, your brain's doing all these complex computations about you know, interactions with another person um, that you're having or, or a project that you have to work on for school. But your emotions in my mind are, are distilling all of that information, that complex information down into a signal to you. So if you're stressed, um, that emotion is telling you that something is beyond what you believe you have the capacity to um, manage, to cope with. And so then, you know, you can use those emotions to kind of figure out why am I feeling this way? What is it about? And change your behavior accordingly. So, so I think of them as these really important signals that distill all this information to tell us what might be something that we need to attend to in our environment or how we should be changing our behavior to, in theory, reduce that negative emotion that we're feeling if we don't want to feel it and to, to increase that positive emotion if that's something that we're not feeling and we want to or if we're feeling and we want to feel it more. The idea that emotions provide real-time feedback about what we're doing is really interesting to me. When Stella shared that, I began to think about the times when I was with friends and I felt happy, but also about the times when I was with friends but felt sad. In the cases when I felt sad, I'd often think to myself, why do I feel this way? I shouldn't be feeling this way. 
or even when it came to work or school and I personally loved my time at undergrad. I loved meeting people, I loved learning, but there were still days when I hated everything about it. I wanted to drop out, I wanted to move to Cambodia, I wanted to live in a hut and whenever I would feel this way about school, I'd often feel confused about why I felt that way or shame because I knew that my parents worked hard to put me there. What I'm hearing, at least when you're talking, is a lot of almost meta comments on your emotions. So, so we have emotions and then we, we also regulate them in different ways. Um, and so there's a lot of pieces to the process of the emotion. You might feel it. You might feel stress about something or shame. Then you might beat yourself up for feeling that way about the emotion, which is what I'm referring to when I say this sort of meta commentary on your emotions. And sometimes that can actually not be the, the best thing to be doing. Uh, if you find you're somebody who has a really negative meta commentary on your emotions, that isn't actually the most helpful always, right? Because in theory, one thing you want to do with your emotions is understand them and accept them. And that's where I'm bringing in this part about emotion regulation. One of the strategies that's gaining more traction in research is this idea of accepting your emotions and saying, okay, you know, COVID's really stressful. I feel really anxious right now about whatever it is that I'm doing. And that's okay because this is a really stressful time. And it's totally natural that in this situation, I would feel anxious and not, like I said, beating yourself up about that emotion and then feeling other emotions on top of that because you're, you know, not happy with how you're feeling. So I think acceptance um, of your emotions and trying to process them and understand them is really important because they are signals. They're telling you something. And for me, I'm often like, okay, if I'm feeling anxious, maybe there's something in this situation that I feel like is beyond my capacity to control or cope with. What is that? And using it almost as an insight to myself and thinking, how can I maybe then go on to change my environment or change my way of thinking about my environment to help with that emotion? But I do, I do caution people always if they find themselves thinking about whether their emotions are right or wrong, that that can lead you down a dangerous path because right or wrong for who? For culture, for society, for you, it's really important. Like our emotions are just really important parts of our experience. And I think we need to let ourselves have them and then try and understand them. Um, so yeah, I would, I would say be careful of those meta commentaries and work to accept your emotions and, and try and understand them so that you can work towards that longer bigger goal of a future where you're less anxious uh, and more happy. And part of what you're saying, obviously, is tuning into your emotions and, and changing things about what you're doing and how you're feeling in your environment to respond to them. So I guess to put that into a question, um, how, how, to what degree or like how much should we trust our emotions to guide us in decision making? Because there's so many decisions we make throughout the day, big and small, and they really do shape our lives. So how would emotions play a role in that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I talk about this a lot as well in my emotions course, because there's a long history of thinking emotions are bad for decision-making. Um, but in general, in some cases they can be, I don't want to say that emotions are always important for decision-making and good. There are certainly cases where extremely intense emotions can lead to bad decision-making, but I would say in general, emotions are helpful for our decisions and, and we should treat it as a piece of information that we're utilizing when making a decision. Maybe it shouldn't be the only thing that guides your decision, but it's certainly a relevant, important piece of information. If you're thinking, do I want to stay in this path as a career path? Do I want to stay with this 
person as a relationship partner. I think it would be remiss to ignore the emotional feeling that you have when you think about staying with that person or staying on that career path. If you feel dread at the prospect of, of those ideas, then, then that's meaningful and it might signal other things are going on. Maybe you don't feel the career path is rewarding or the person is treating you kindly or as kindly as you would like. So I, I think emotions are an important aspect of decision-making, um, but we should remember they're one piece of the decision-making process and maybe not let them guide the entire decision we have. We are rational beings with really big frontal cortexes. So we have lots of other computational ability to make decisions and we should use every piece of information that we have is my recommendation. I'll give you like a very brief story. Uh, something that I like, I guess, forgot to mention that it's all coming back to me because of these points. So thank you for bringing it up. You're welcome. Um, that part of stress and how we're not supposed to, like we're not capable of doing the things that we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So at the end of my second year, I really was struggling. Like I did not know what I wanted to do. And this was before I took my writing course, my my um, my science and writing course, sorry. So I had taken writing, creative writing at the time, but again, I wasn't like a big fan. I didn't do that well in it because at the time I was very irresponsible. Um, so my friends noticed how stressed I was and they said, hey, you know, maybe university isn't for you because I was also having a hard time making friends because uh, making friends in university is like very hard, right? Um, so I was, I was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe like, yeah, you're right, guys. Maybe university isn't for me. And so I had a friend who actually went to St. George and dropped out in her first year to go do Sheridan. And she has a similar culture that, uh, to me. I'm Latino. She was Arab. So her parents were also like very demanding of what they wanted her to do just as my parents were being demanding of what they wanted me to do. And she was telling me, she's like, yeah, like I dropped out of U of T and I went to Sheridan. I did my research and I said, guys, this is what I want to do, right? This is, here is all the steps. I've laid it out very well for you. I am planning on dropping out of of, um, U of T and I'm going to go do Sheridan to do what I want to do. And she fought that battle, won it, okay? And when she told me this, she was like already out of U of T, looking forward to starting Sheridan. So at the the time I was like, man, I feel like that's what I'm missing. Like my parents are telling me what to do. Maybe I should start telling them what I want to do, right? But I I don't know what I want to do, (laughs) right? Like, I don't know. So I was like, okay, UTM isn't it right because at the time I also didn't know about any of the programs at UTM because first of all I didn't want to be there right so I wasn't inspired to look for what else could be there so I also started looking at Sheridan I was like I'm gonna apply to Sheridan to become uh, an architect (laughs) why an architect (laughs) yeah literally why an architect well Side note, I love how I met your mother. I very much relate to Ted Mosby 
for those who haven't seen How a Mature Mother, Ted Mosby is an architect. <laughs> and he always talks about architecture with such passion that I was like, you know what? Let me try out Ted Mosby's theory about being an architect. Why not? I've never drawn, like, my drawing skills are so bad. It's actually hilarious. Uh, and I've never really been into buildings, but I'll do anything to get out of UTM. And when I obviously went to tell that to my parents, that's the battle that I ended up losing. Um, and I told them, well, I don't want to be an engineer. Let's get, let's make that straight. I don't want to be an engineer. I don't want to keep wasting your money at this school. Right. So what do you guys suggest I do? Taking a break, like taking like a, like a, a year break was not an option. They wanted me to get university done as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, they told me, I don't know, figure it out, but you're not dropping out of UTM to go to share. They're not, they were not going to pay for that. And I was certainly, I certainly didn't have the money to pay for it myself. Um, I knew they wouldn't have, like, even if I had rebelled, they wouldn't have like, they would have still supported me. My parents are great. Uh, don't get me wrong. Um, and that's when I started looking. I was like, you know what? Fine. If I'm going to be at UTM, I'm going to do it my way. So then I actually like the writing course, like I said, I didn't do my best, but I liked it. I was like, what other courses do they offer? And that's when I stumbled upon science and writing. And I, I thought, okay, science, writing, what could go wrong? And Guy Allen proved that statement so well, because nothing went wrong. Everything went perfectly. I fell in love with it. Guy Allen was such an encouraging professor. Like I cannot stress that enough. I've told him myself, I'm like, you are the reason why I'm still here, <laughs> right? Uh, and it was his encouraging words and the way that like he, he talked about communicating um, research. One thing that really resonated with me, and I think it can resonate with a lot of science students, yeah. is that scientists write for other scientists okay so whenever you read textbooks in physics or in chemistry or whatever that is the author like communicating their complex voice onto other people trying to learn that complex voice and not everybody is capable of of being able to understand that complex voice so guy allen said hey Science of writing is about simplifying complexity and making everybody mm. understand. Because science is interesting. You just have to know how to communicate it to people and make it relatable and interesting. And that's exactly what I started doing. And taking that advice and going back to my own physics textbooks and reading it, I was like, yeah, he's right. I, this is really complex. I know what the other is trying to do or say, right? And so when I started writing my own lab reports, like it was a huge improvement just yeah. from that one course, right? So I was no longer stressed about not knowing what to do, right? I was no longer stressed about this isn't for me. Instead, that stress was replaced by, I guess I would call it healthy stress, which is like, how can I 
make this craft the best it can be? How can I be one of the best students that guy has ever seen? <laughs> Whether I accomplish that or not, it doesn't matter at the end of the day because it helped me bounce back from uncertainty. Um, so I definitely agree with Professor Steller when she said that stress is a big indicator that mm. we're not supposed to be doing what we're doing, right? Mm. If, if you're stressed out that much to the degree where you're, you can't do things or you feel like you don't belong here or you want to drop out, it's probably a good sign that something is wrong and you should try to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. Your research on pro-social emotions have helped you thrive in your work. And you seem like a busy person being a professor and a researcher. And um, although as students, you know, we're not doing the same things, but I think we can all feel that kind of pressure of being busy. And with that, it comes with a lot of distress and sometimes, you know, hardship. So do you have any like stories of how pro-social emotions have helped you thrive in your work and life? Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, you know, everybody's always a work in progress. So I always try to push back on this notion that you can like get to this point where you have reached the pinnacle and achieved success in, you know, practicing the best way to have well-being. It's always, uh, it's a practice that's always ongoing and it needs to rise to the different challenges. COVID being like the most notable challenge in recent history uh, that, so so it's it's always an ongoing process. But for me, I think, one thing I have the tendency to do is to cut out things that I see as fun activities that are, um, you know, not getting me towards a specific goal, research goal or teaching goal. And so I've learned from my own research that that is a mistake that, that I need to, you know, it's, if I have to work an extra hour, that shouldn't be an hour that comes out of spending time with my family or exercise or going to, you know, see art and art gallery. If I find those things fulfilling and enjoyable and they bring me feelings like awe and gratitude and and compassion and they connect me to other people, they need to stay as part of my routine. I need to protect them with the same, like, you know, ferocity that I protect my work schedule or your study schedule or um, class schedule. And so sometimes that does make it, difficult and you have to make hard decisions, but you, I do think you need to prioritize your well-being and protect that time. And for me, a lot of that is social time um, and, and being with other people and COVID makes that really hard. And so, um, you know, I've had to work extra hard to find ways to meet people in a way that's socially distanced or to schedule Zoom meetings and find ways to enjoy them socially and not just use Zoom meetings for work and things like that. So, I would say at least if anything, the, my work has shown me, it's convinced me of the importance of building those things into your, your schedule. And I think that's something that can get lost easily in the shuffle of trying to juggle courses and um, other commitments that you might have, work commitments, things like that. I think that's so important because when you were talking about that, I just thought about the kind of hustle culture we're in where everyone's just mm-hmm. like, work, 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 get, get yeah. stuff done prove others wrong, publicize that you got a new job, got a promotion, graduated this and that. And it's like, 
we often forget to take care of ourselves. And it's so much more than just taking care of yourself um, at this point, because I feel like society has just transcended to this place where like, it's more normal to always be working than it is to take care of yourself. Yeah. So for you to, to publicize the fact that you're taking a day off or that you're relaxing mm -hmm. or that you're going off is like the anomaly. Like that shouldn't be done. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you brought that up. And I think it's such an important thing for us to think about. It's just like, we've it's not even our own decisions anymore. It's like the norm. Like you're, you're we're yeah. just what everyone else is doing, right? Yeah, no, I agree. And I feel like one of the fears I have for myself that keeps me in check, and I have it for you guys as well as a, as a generation of students is, I don't want to look back in my own life or for you to look back at your own lives and be like, I just worked myself into the ground. I, maybe I saved up a lot of money, but I, I didn't take the time to travel. I didn't spend enough time with people. I didn't go learn that hobby of playing the violin that I always wanted to do because I never had enough time. Because I do think when you, it's a scary thing, but when you think about what people look back on in their lives, when they're at the end of their lives, they're usually not like, oh, I wish I'd worked like 10 more hours. They're like, I wish I had spent more time with my children or with my partner. I wish I had gone and seen the world. And so I try to carry a piece of that when I'm making my decisions looking forward because it's super easy to lose sight of it. And I think especially when you are part of this culture, that's in some ways, it feels like it can try and squeeze you, right? For everything that you have, um, you have to push back and protect your own well-being and say, okay, I'm gonna, I have to defend myself because my culture might not do it for me. Um, it might drive me into the ground working. Uh, so so that's part of it is, is a little bit of a battle against the work culture, um, the hustle culture, like you said. Yeah, I remember one thing that we talked about way back in psychology class was this negative feedback loop of stress and how like sometimes when you're caught in, sorry if I'm not getting like the exact, I ended up, I guess a little backstory, I was in psych and then I ended up switching into communications, but I still mm -hmm. have a lot of love for the things that I've learned, but it's kind well, of- very relevant, yeah. Yeah, but there was this one notion of how um, stress sometimes when you have like chronic stress, you kind of get stuck and it's hard to yeah. get out of that That's um, cycle. <laughs> and, and then speaking about hustle, well, I know like it can be so difficult when we have the pressures and you know, it's like, we know in our head that like we need to rest, but it's kind of like hard to get out of that cycle. And so yeah. do you have any advice for students or individuals in general who might like know that they need to get out of that, but it's just hard because they feel like- they're Are you talking about me right now? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Continue. I, would love I feel like you're talking about all of us. I mean, the problem is that it's, I always, I say this to my grad students because grad school's also like everything else is really demanding. And I say, you know, your job will take everything from you. And the only person that's going to defend you against that is yourself. So if you're not going to stand up for yourself and protect yourself against that, maybe you'll have a loving partner who will try to do that for you but you really need to be the person that does it for yourself and for me um you know that is i do very tangible things like i block out time in my google calendar because i use a google calendar for things that are restorative for me um so for example my my i have a one-year-old daughter and she just started a daycare and we signed her up uh, for four days a week instead of five. And we made the commitment as a family that we would take half the day off on Wednesday 
to go do an activity, especially during COVID when we're trying to avoid crowds because we have a young unvaccinated daughter. And so, you know, that's blocked off. No matter how busy I get, it's like that time doesn't exist for work. It's like, it might as well not be there. And so I have done those things and I try and do it proactively rather than in the moment. Because in the moment you're like, I couldn't possibly spare half a day to go do something fun for myself. But if you do it ahead of time, I have found that I make it work. I might work a little more efficiently, maybe like peruse on social media a little bit less because I'm like, this isn't time that I can just give back to working. So I, I really fiercely defend my personal time. I Same with the weekends. I don't answer email on the weekends. My students know that if they contact me late on Friday, they might not hear from me on Monday. And I think those are things that we can set very simple rules for ourselves, but then we have to enforce them and protect them so that we can have those other aspects of our selfhood get fulfilled, those other experiences that it's different for every person what it might be, but but I think that we we need to carve out the time for those things. And and you're right, it can be really hard in the moment to do it, which is why I argue in this, you know, it's September, do it early and do it for the year. And then it's just the time is blocked out rather than you know, in the midst of, you know, October when things are slammed and you're trying to find that time and you just can't find it anywhere. Um, and you will work around it. And it might mean that that one time you submit something that's like 90% as good as you could do instead of 100%. But that last 10% meant that you could go do something that was really soul nourishing for you. I think that trade-off is worth making. And I think that's the hope for me that our culture starts to be more okay with that trade-off. Um, that you don't have to give 100% of yourself to you know, school or work, that you can save more of yourself for other things, for being a balanced, healthy person. Sacrificing time from work and trading it for rest is something that I could not imagine doing when I was in school. And I think it was because I had the belief that my well-being depended on my academic success, that I would only be happy if I was achieving everything I set my mind to. But what I didn't realize, which Stellar discusses, was that taking the time to do other things that bring me joy, um, that give me rest, um, that create balance in my life, was way more beneficial than putting all my energy only into school and work. I didn't really learn this until I was in my second or third year when my friend Anne moved in with me at my grandma's house. This meant that I was spending a lot more time socializing with her on bus rides home, um, going on small trips to the mall or studying at cafes and all of those really small things added a lot of spont spontaneity in my life which made me enjoy life a lot more despite having many things on my plate which leads us to the famous college dilemma sleep socialize or study if you could only pick two which would you choose i did not think that it was possible at that time to do all three and I would always just focus on two and miss out on things so there were periods where say I only picked um, like sleep and uh, study and my social life like really went bad and I started like feeling bad I'm like hey like when school ended and it was summertime I was like oh I'm so happy that I'm done with all my courses and now I'm like going to my friends and I'm like what where are they like, where are they where, like <laughs> yeah like guys what happened and they would be upset with me because they were like dude you were like ghosting us the entire time and i was like okay it wasn't on purpose right um and then there would be times where instead i would choose socializing and studying and then i would 
like do horrible in tests and midterms because I would not retain any of the information that was in lectures. Yeah. Um, so that was really hard. So I guess if I went to back to myself to give myself a piece of advice is, I don't know, find a time to do the things that you like, take a break, don't stress too much, even though that's probably like a huge generalization, <laughs> but yeah. 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 And the end of your editorial is kind of interesting because you, I think you talk about how, um, like it is possible to do all three, like to have sleep, socializing and study. Like if you find, I guess, like creative ways to merge like two of them together, like socializing and studying or something. Um, do you have any like tips that you did in your university career that like worked out for you? So in order to manage all three, I would do, I would like meet up with friends at like a coffee shop. So there's this place in Burlington called Coffee Culture. And it's not only in Burlington, like you can literally go to any other coffee shop. Yeah, I think I've heard uh, that. Yeah, it's a really nice place. Definitely recommend. Uh, where, yeah, like I just meet up with friends. Even now, I'm still, I'm, I'm still doing this now. Where I meet up with them and I say, okay, guys, let's meet up at 2 p.m., this place closes at nine and we can take breaks in between where we're like actually socializing and it works because everybody brings their headphones when we're doing work, nobody really interrupts each other. Right. And then we say, okay, every like hour or every hour and a half we'll like chat for like five minutes and it works out. And I think it's that break that keeps us from like being too track. fatigued yeah and also like going off track but like um it keeps us from like being too stressed about our work mm -hmm. and sometimes like i'm a of course i'm a writer so i'll like be writing something right so actually for my editorial on balancing time <laughs> i was writing it in a coffee shop with while my friends were studying and during the break i'd be like guys look at this draft what do you think <laughs> do you think mm -hmm. it's good and they'd be like you know what maybe you haven't discuss this yet uh that well and maybe you should do that and i'd be like that's a good point mm -hmm. right so it's it's that feedback from others and also being able to interact with others that like helped me during university and afterwards yeah i was just gonna add on that i think like even even within the pandemic context like you can still do it online because I was just thinking of when you, Nabila, and I were finishing our final portfolio for the independent studies class. And that was when we were still in lockdown. I don't think any coffee shops were open. And, you know, we were also on a time crunch. So we were working like through midnight and nothing would have been open anyways. But um, I remember us having a similar workflow where we were like, okay, let's just open up. Um, I think it was Zoom and just like be present with each other and kind of like keep each other company. So we're, we know like, yeah, we got like that moral support, but we're also working silently in the background. But whenever like one of us, because we were all working on the same project, like if any of us had a question, we were able to like, hey, are you guys there? Start to interrupt. And then we would also <laughs> have breaks as well. And we did that for like a few hours. Um, and I think it's just cool because um, like that kind of just like having company and having the breaks like you could do it in coffee shops but you can also do it online absolutely absolutely you can and in fact i encourage it i mean even if 
you're just on a call and mute with your video off or on, like it, it can be very helpful to know that somebody else is doing work at the same time as you. And mm -hmm. it kind of motivates you to not procrastinate, right? Because then you're part of this call, you're part of this meeting. What are you doing there if not work? You know, you kind of like feel bad if you're not, if you're the only one that doing work. So I guess that's kind of like a motivator mm -hmm. as well. At least that's what I find for me. And like speaking about relationships. So that sounds like a really cool way to, I guess, like build relationships with classmates and, you know, just keep up with your friends. But we also know you are dating Lou. So I met Lou recently. You introduced us and she's amazing. Like I love her so much um, and just super down to earth and so kind. Um, but if you don't mind, like, can you tell us a little bit about how you met? And then I would love to like learn more about, you know, how you've just cultivated your relationship, like amidst school and work and like all these stresses. That is a really great question. And um, I already know if Lou is listening to this, she's going to be like, oh my God, here we go. Because I always kind of exaggerate the story. Uh, but Lou, if you're listening, I'm going to try my best to keep this story as accurate as possible. So the way we met was actually funny because... <sighs> so I was in the physics, I was in a physics lab. Okay, so in physics labs, or I guess in lab classes in general, uh, if you're the first one to get to the class, you don't you have you kind of have no option as to who you're gonna work with, right? So whoever sits in your table is who you're stuck with for the rest of the semester. Um, so I had done a couple of physics labs at that time, and I was, and I knew I was like, okay, if I'm gonna be successful in this course, because it was also around the same time where I was in that transition of like becoming a better student. Um, I told myself if I want to succeed, uh, I need to make that judgment call, um, which right. I don't know. Anyways, um, <laughs> and I was late. I was late that day. And so I walk in, everybody is already sitting down and I'm like, okay, which table has an, has a free spot and who can I really like talk to here that like can help me out. And the first thing I see when I walk in is Lou and it sounds kind of cliche, but it, it is true. She was at the end of the room uh, and she was like standing, uh, she was sitting, sorry, at, at the corner of the table and I made eye contact with her immediately and <laughs> love at first sight <laughs> and sure yeah I mean yes <laughs> sort of though um, I'll let you tell so, the story yeah so uh she like smiled at me and I smiled back and I mean I'll be honest with you she was the best looking girl in the class at that like in that that moment so I was like um let me let me approach her right so i went up to her uh there was an empty spot uh next to her and i was like hey can i sit here and she was like yeah sure right and i introduced myself to the rest of the table first so i kind of like i was like hey my name's ricardo what's your name hey my name's ricardo and then until i got to her right yeah that's really that's really how i met her like she was just sitting at the at the end of the of the, of the class and i walked up to her and then after that, we were like, I would always look forward to that class because I would get to like sit next to her and talk to her. And I think our group members hated us because 
Lou and I would not do work at all. Like I would always tease her um, <laughs> and talk to her and whatever. And um, and then, yeah, from then on, it was it was crazy. The, the funny part. You were. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, it wasn't like I wasn't really that flirty. So fun fact, before Lou and I started like officially dating, uh, there was like a year interval where we were just friends because I'm the type of person to measure out if it's going to work. I don't really like to get to know people during the relationship just in case something goes wrong and then it's just wasted time on both ends. Uh, And I'm super thankful and glad that Lou was patient enough. I mean, neither of us ever said it uh, to each other in that time, but I guess it was kind of implied. I always played dumb though, and so did she. And then one thing led to another, and implied then eventually that you both liked each other. You mean? Yeah, implied that we both liked each other, and then yeah, and then in January um, of oh god, twenty nineteen, I think. Yeah, January twenty nineteen, we became official, and at the time, because I wanted to. Um, stay productive with my time when he's it is it's gonna, and then we gonna have be... to bring lou on the podcast it's like here's her story <laughs> yeah <laughs> let us hear her story um yeah so it's gonna be three years in january so then 2020 20, 20, yeah 2019 no 2018 <laughs> fuck i don't know anyways let's just not include the year um <laughs> Lou's gonna kill me anyways um um so yeah so when we started dating and we were official I like we both came to an agreement that we needed to prioritize our time and I guess that's kind of the benefit of us having been friends because we would study all the time we knew how busy we were uh we weren't here to play around she respected my grind I respected her grind Uh, and we kind of built each other off of that so when we started dating it it wasn't really that hard like nothing really changed you know Mm -hmm. we were still meeting up to study um except now we were official and it felt different but aside from that she she was always very understanding about time because she's also a very um goal-driven person like she likes to be on top of her um Mm -hmm. courses and always pays attention uh, and actually some of that rubbed off on me. Uh, so I would also like to thank her uh, for inspiring me to become better at managing my time. There's a lot of things she taught me. So perhaps if you ever did want to invite her for, in a podcast, uh, she would give you all her tips and note taking and all of that because I definitely learned it from her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really sweet. It sounds like a somewhat, like it sounds like a, nice classic like student boy meets girl in a university lab both are kind of busy with their schoolwork, but you know stay friends and then find their way to each other yeah you know what I'm remembering now actually the course that I was (laughs) yeah the course that I was that I was in um I had actually taken already so it was a course that I late withdrew um I can't remember the reason why I did that but in like so in the labs the reason why I wasn't being so active was because I already I already done all this so I did kind of help out a little bit but not Mm -hmm. that much 
and during the tutorials we had quizzes right and the quizzes were the exact same questions like they were unchanged okay mm -hmm. and so i played it like i was the smartest guy ever <laughs> like i would go up like i would go up to our our group table and i'd be like okay guys like this is the answer right and they'd be like dude no way like get out of here and then they take it up and sure enough that's the answer and so lou was telling me lou later admitted she was like i thought you were the smartest guy ever <laughs> so hey points for me <laughs> yeah i was talking to lou actually the other day and she was telling me about how now like while well, Lou's still in her school, but she recently got a job and like, you know, you're working as well, but how you guys are still like able to connect, but it seems like you guys respect each other's like time and grind again, like you said, um, have, have you experienced like any challenges um, just like, I guess like how to stay like connected with your significant other when you have like so many priorities and work on your plate? Were there times that her and I struggled? Yes. Did we make it work? Yes. How did we make it work? We planned a day. We said, okay, we are really busy, but on Friday at 5 p.m., we won't be busy. And for that time that we're together, we're going to do anything else but school. And that's exactly what we did. And putting that um, time block to say, okay, we're going to hang out at this time, kind of forced both of us to work our hardest and say, okay, we're going to do all of this work. We're going to have it done on Friday at 5 p.m. And if it's not done, sucks because we're prioritizing something else so Love that. we put our, our relationship uh first uh when it came to like having breaks so instead of me having some downtime and her having some downtime separately when things got really busy we said okay we're gonna have our downtime together and mm -hmm. we're gonna make it work somehow and that's what we did and it actually did help obviously graduated so thank god <laughs> um, but uh yeah it was great it was just being able to say let's put some boundaries on work right and it worked i mean this is sort of keeping in with the theme that we've been talking about but for me, it's like the lesson has been learning to say no to things. There's always additional things I can do, um, responsibilities I can take on. And I'm very enthusiastic. So sometimes I want to take those on. So it's not just about saying no to things that I don't want to do and not feeling bad about letting someone down, but even saying no to things I might want to do, because I realize if I agree to do that, then realistically, that's not going to leave me enough time to take care of myself or um, spend time with my family. So I have a really hard time saying no. And that's one of the things that I've tried to work on. Um, and, and obviously with the thoughtfulness of like, why am I saying no? And what am I trying to protect? And so, um, 
So I do think that's probably not a very positive motto is like, say no, say no more. But I think in the effort to like preserve yourself and protect yourself and your relationships with others, uh, at least in the work domain or maybe school domain, you know, really making sure you don't overcommit yourself and saying no and, and not feeling guilty about it later is something that I've really worked on, um, especially in my like early career when there's lots of things you can take on and, and be part of that take time. I think that's so important because I find that today, like all some of us find it hard to set boundaries like yeah. with each other and with ourselves like again going back to that like hustle culture of like you never stop like stop when you drop and so yeah. for me especially this past year with this job and having a bunch of other jobs and finding it so hard to say but having to say no to certain to certain really great opportunities just because I was like, okay, Liz, this time you have to take care of yourself, yeah. think of yourself and not just think about like, oh, this will get me into graduate school. You know, like, it's not about yeah. that. It's about you this coming year, not in two yeah. years right now. Yeah. If you keep going, you're going to crash and burn. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think that's right. I think the way you said it is really nice. It's about setting boundaries in this sense that like, it's a life. So it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And if you sprint, you are, like you said, you're going to you're not going to make it the whole way. Being okay with saying no um, and like being okay with like taking care of yourself and like, yeah, setting outside that time, um, kind of like I think you and Lou did to just like be, be together, um, like setting aside that time to do things that like she, she loves and that like sparks like joy in her and stuff. I think that was what really stood out to me. Um, yeah, just because during university, like, um, I was so I, I had my classes and then I was also working part time and I at the time I I don't know why but I didn't know about summer school yet so I would take like five courses um, which was like you know the max is like six even I know some people do six but it was a lot especially with work and if you're doing clubs and um, I was working as a waitress and I remember on the job there was this one day where nothing like the the restaurant was pretty empty i was helping out this table i worked at symposium um mm. and they were having like a breakfast lunch a breakfast uh, sorry not a breakfast lunch a birthday lunch and you know they were ordering and i was getting their order down and they had a bunch of different like variations like oh can we get breakfast of champions but can we also add like this and that and but it was going fine and then um, and I was cleaning and I was doing all my work and then I stopped and like stood beside my manager like the owner of that restaurant and she kind of just said like a very side comment she was like you know you're very hard working like and she was kind of just acknowledging that like she sees me and then for some reason like it was so embarrassing I just started crying I don't know why like in that restaurant I just started like it was I think it was like all the pent-up stress was like coming out and um I just realized I think like having that a little like validation I, I kind of realized how overworked I was and like doing school and all that um and then doing work and it was like I was on a constant grind that I didn't realize how stressed and tired I was and um I went to the bathroom she she was kind of like oh my gosh like are you okay was it something I said and I like you know was I like she 
she's a great manager, you know, like she really cares about her restaurant. That's why she wants us all to like work really hard and all that stuff. Um, so like, I think sometimes like she's known for being a bit like tough and like, you know, like make sure things are like really good. But she was like, oh, was it something I said? And I was like, no, 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 it wasn't. And I kind of went to the bathroom to compose myself. And then there was like also this kind of funny moment where the mom of the table that I was helping walked in to use the bathroom and like she saw me crying in the bathroom and she was like um she was like hey are you okay like was it us like I'm so sorry if we were like asking for too much and I was like no no it's not that like I think it's just that you know I'm really tired and overworked and then she she was kind of like well just go home like just take the day off. Um, you know, what are they going to do? Are they going to fire you? Like, it's okay. And and she got really like motivational and was like, yeah, like you're, you're an amazing person. Like, you know, take care of yourself and all that. Um, all that to say, but I think like during that season, like one thing that I also had to learn the hard way was how to say no to like constantly like, you know, meeting even my expectations for myself like striving for perfection striving to be the person who can get all the good grades and can like join all the clubs and also have a part-time job and be making income and all that stuff but to say like um even like no to I guess like myself and like what I was like constantly telling myself to do and to just like I take the day off so I I was I did end up going home because the restaurant was empty and like we had other waiters and stuff um so then I kind of just took like uh, like a day to rest and it was really nice. And I think that moment um, from that point, really, it really taught me um, just like how great it is to have those times when like I can rest and like take care of myself and not like work myself to the core. And after that, like I definitely think that even my work like at the restaurant or at school, I was a lot more um, like like my work was a lot better because I was in like a happier and like healthier state. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a really sweet story. I mean, uh, thank your customer, uh, <laughs> giving you inspiring conversations in the, in the bathroom. That's sweet. Yeah. But yeah I, I, I agree with you saying no is really important to your mental health. So what are your thoughts on, finding time to relax even if that sacrifices the quality of your work do you think that's a trade-off that is worth i think for the long run yes it is um yeah because i think like if i just even in that situation with the restaurant like if i if i just let myself like continue to like work and like be stressed and like eventually i would have been I feel like it, it could have reached a point where I was just like done with school, done with work, like quit everything because I was just like so tired. But I think like taking those like little days like to take a break um, so that I'm like refueled, I guess, and able to like go on for the next week, you know, just kind of taking it like week by week, day by day um, is really beneficial. And I understand like the quality of the work. Um, for example, like you have an assignment and let's say like you were hoping you need like five hours to do it, but let's say you need like an hour to just have downtime. And that means like now you have less time to do the assignment. Um, honestly, like sometimes I, I feel like the assignment like still could turn out that good. I don't know if that's just like, um, uh, within my experience, but, um, yeah, like 
taking that time to rest, um, I think like could help you even like be more focused and maybe like even do that assignment a bit like quicker than you thought you would need. So yeah, those are my thoughts. What about you? I agree with that statement. I definitely think taking a break um, is necessary to do the best work that you can do. Otherwise mm-hmm. you reach burnout. So I think her saying that taking a break, even if it sacrifices the quality of your work can be, I mean, yes, I would say take the, take measured breaks is what I would say. Yeah. Don't sacrifice the quality of your work. If you feel like it's going to affect you negatively, because I know that some people, uh, it might, it might even make them feel worse to do bad on on an assignment. Uh, for their sake of their mental health that's kind of like Mm. backwards so I I would say if you're too busy in your week um, as I mentioned earlier plan that break during the week Mm -hmm. to to really just relax and call it off during that time and then maybe you'll prioritize what's really important and leave the things that aren't as important until after you're done your break and then that way you're not sacrificing the quality of your work now you are graduated and i think one thing that a lot of students think about is you know in the four years you're so focused on like okay what classes am i gonna am i gonna take and what clubs am i gonna join and you know is my gpa is gonna be good but then after you graduate you're left in this like limbo where it's like you know what now or you don't even know like you can't even think about what happens after you graduate it just seems so like distant and uncertain but like can you tell us a little bit about how it's like for you now that you're graduated and um how that's going um life after graduation is certainly interesting i will say that much um so For those who don't know, the work at the medium starts to pick up in August, okay? So after graduating, uh, I didn't really look for any uh, writing-related jobs because I already had the medium, right? So I was only working part-time at Sherwin-Williams, which is a paint store. Um, And during that time, it was kind of weird because I found that while I knew that my real work was coming like something related to my field was coming um i still felt weird not being a student and not um what's it called being able to submit things because yes you know when you're a student too yeah Yeah, because students are in midterms right now and like some of my friends are still in school and i'm like i'm like I wake up and I'm like, do I have an assignment today? Like, should I be doing something right now? But like, you don't, you don't have any. Yeah, exactly. And it felt weird because when you're a student and summertime comes, you're like, okay, this is my time to rest because I know that work is going to be coming in September, right? Uh, And I deserve a break, right? But after you're graduated, you're like, okay, I do deserve a break because I just, you know, graduated university, right? But how long should I wait until I start doing what I want to do? You know what I mean? 
like like I mentioned for me it was waiting for the medium to start and in that time it was like I really feel like I should be doing something while I wait right because I was doing like I said I was working a part-time job that wasn't really in my field um and it felt it felt weird so life after graduation can be interesting I would highly suggest students to do the same thing that uh, we did which is find a place to work at that you're passionate about before you graduate. I think students undermine how important it is to network with the people that, uh, you know, are going to be really helpful to you after graduation. Those could be your classmates. It could be your professors. It could be your TAs. Really get to know these people and really interact with them. I came up with a few rhetorical statements that students might like, you know, think to themselves or maybe that I might have thought to myself in the past. Um, So I was wondering if you could like I will say one and then you can give like your advice to that statement or like what what you what like how would you answer it? Oh, okay, I'm done. So the first one is. I don't want to ask a question in class because I might sound stupid. What do I do? You know, that's a really good question because I definitely struggled with this uh, when I was uh, in Zoom classes, right? Being on the spot is never nice, especially if you think your question is a stupid one. But um, As cliche as it sounds, I don't think there's a stupid question. I think a lot of people don't realize that we're all human and more than one of us share the same uh, thoughts. So if you think your question is stupid, chances are somebody else has the same question and is also not asking it because they think it's stupid too. So my advice to that would be ask it and if you hear somebody else ask that question that you had in mind i encourage you to say it out loud and say hey i was thinking the same thing especially if it's like in zoom right where you have the chance to like send chats uh i would say hey that's a really good question because if i if you were thinking it too then you'll definitely think so Mm -hmm. um that would be my answer for that. Yeah. And sometimes, honestly, like the teacher just doesn't explain things that clearly or it's good to clarify. And yeah, everyone's probably thinking the same thing. So absolutely. Really um, the next one is I'm afraid to approach this person because they might think I'm weird. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> um, it depends for the reasons that you're trying to approach them. If you're trying to be their friend, and you want to show your weird side, then show your weird side. I think a lot of people embrace the weirdness of other people. I mean, I've definitely met some crazy people that I'm so proud to call my friends. Uh, And I can get weird too, but um, yeah, just be weird. You know what I mean? I feel like everybody tries to be normal all the time and being normal sucks, guys. Just be different 
be yourself and approach anybody. That's if you're trying to be friends. If you're trying to, I don't know, if maybe it's somebody who you're potentially you're interested yeah. in, maybe um, <laughs> come up with a better, I don't know, I don't know, like strategize your, your plan. Um, actually, you know what? Scratch that. Even if you're trying to be weird uh, with like somebody who you're trying to shoot your shot with, if that's who you are, if that's your personality, let it shine because the other person will determine if they want to, um, if they want to vibe with you or not. I was thinking like an explicit word, but I don't want to swear on this podcast. I feel like now is a good segue to um, just like link that Jaros has created a relationship podcast a while oh, ago. So if you are in a podcasting class, definitely look for that one on the list. Really great advice. <laughs> the next one is um, I have so much on my plate that I don't even know where to start. I'm overwhelmed with everything that I keep procrastinating. What do I do? Okay, definitely been there. Um, here's my tip. And it's actually a tip that Lou told me to do. Go out and buy yourself an agenda, a whiteboard, a chalkboard, whatever you want to do. Something that is physical, something that you can look at, write at. If you have an iPad, no writing on your notes on an iPad is, does not count. This has to be physical. Once you have that you start breaking down your week with the things that you have to do and when. So prioritize your time. It all goes back to that. First step, find out all your due dates. That's your first thing. Okay, you have that paper on Friday. Due on Friday, you have the next thing due on Monday. Okay, and only you know yourself and how hard you work. So if you have something on Friday, for example, Actually, let me give you an example of how I did my writing. So for independent uh, studies, the courses that we were in, the course that we were in, we had no um, guidance from Guy Allen, right? Like he went MIA for most of the semester. Uh, so it was really upon us to like be able to determine when we were going to hand in stuff, usually on Fridays. Yeah. For me, it takes me like, I would say like, if I wanted to write like a research article, I had to do the research on Monday, right? Uh, and then let it sit and then write the article on Thursday and then let that sit and then edit the article on Friday. Yeah. It's if I hadn't, yeah, if I hadn't had a schedule to where I write down and say, okay, Monday, research article. Thursday, write article. Friday, edit article. If I didn't have that, my, my brain would be all over the place right and once i researched the article i would erase it on my whiteboard and not think about it anymore because it's not on the whiteboard it's none of my concerns right so if you put all the things that you have to do in a schedule uh, and you erase them as you complete them all your thoughts are not going to be in your brain anymore they're going to be on actual paper and you can erase it yeah i love that yeah it's like like when we feel overwhelmed, there's just so much going on in our mind, but really like putting that clutter like onto a piece of paper. And I can imagine like 
you, that way you're also chunking your tasks so you can see like how much time it might take and like how many days ahead you need to work on it but then also like crossing it off or wiping it off the whiteboard like you do like it's like a little um accomplishment it's like yes i did this and then you feel like mm-hmm. yeah now i can like like you you accomplish something like now i can handle the next small task like the next day which will just be to like maybe do the research or to write so that is really great advice The Medium's mental health issue was just released on Monday, and you can find paper copies available on stands around campus. Or you can, of course, read our articles on our website. And on the front page, you'll find an article that Jaros wrote featuring a UTM alumna, Naomi Nicole Bramer, who wrote a book called To You Who Don't Understand. This book is meant to help people understand what it's like going through depression. And as we near the end of our episode, and there were so many things that resonated with me today, I'm just reflecting about how a lot of the times the advice that we get um, about how to live happier and healthy lives often deal with changes that we need to make ourselves within our behavior and our thoughts Um, But what I really wanted to know was whether there was anything that the systems and the institutions that we live and work in, um, that if there's anything they can do to help us live healthier and happier lives, or if everything is totally up to us to make a difference in our lives. And Stellar answers that there are programs and systems that are starting to change which promote empathy for both ourselves and for other people and to help other people understand what it's like similar to bramer's book companies and schools need to make it a priority to promote well-being like we we obviously in in our culture make it a priority to to be successful and to have the outcomes of being successful like money and fame and all those things I think what we we're starting to realize is we need to devote the same amount of attention to helping individuals be happy and healthy. Part of that selfishly is that if you don't support the individual, then the system can fall apart and they're not as successful and, you know, able to produce as much as you would hope. So there's a selfish side, but then there's also the sort of pro-social side, which is just that we should care about people being happy and healthy and that it's more than just being successful. So I think there are lots of different programs um, that are really important. You know, one of the things that I really like that schools are doing, I've noticed is they're putting more emphasis on things like empathy and understanding other people, especially if they're different from you, because it can be harder to do that, or you might project your own experience that doesn't really match what their experiences. And then you have this misunderstanding that isn't based in any malintention, but it's still leading to a disconnect. So I think there's, you know, programs that that help people promote their own well-being and health and also at an interpersonal level, promote empathy and understanding of other people. Those are the kinds of programs that I hope that we'll see more of and that I do feel like we are seeing, especially in education. Um, they seem to be really taking a lead in trying to build in those skills to the younger generations, which I think is really important. I have a couple projects I'm really excited about. I'm finishing up, well, we'll see. I had put it on hold because of COVID. I've been working with the Royal Ontario Museum on a project for a while now, um, trying to understand how art can 
positively or seeing art can positively impact people's health and well-being and thinking of our art institutions and our concert halls as really these sacred spaces in communities that are a treasure for us as a community because they're a place we can go to you know promote our well-being our health our empathy for others feel these amazing emotions be challenged in good ways um, and so I've been excited to, we're, we're following people as they visit the museum and after to track how it's influencing their physical and mental health. Uh, and then the other project that I'm really excited about that we're hoping to start if we can do in-person studies again is looking at um, how people respond when um, they encounter repeated and sustained exposure to others in need or others suffering. So I think of this as really well characterizing like therapists, doctors, police officers, um, nurses, but it can really characterize anybody who encounters repeated instances of others in need and others suffering. And the goal is to try and understand how we can help those individuals maintain their own health and well-being, and also keep that compassion empathic response alive when they feel like they're burning out um, and they feel like they're feeling this sense of what we call like compassion fatigue. So I've been very interested in trying to push against those barriers and those um, situations that can reduce our motivation to connect, to feel uh, emotion, compassion and empathy for others and try to, to work on solving and or trying to solve um, those issues so that we can, we can cultivate kind of compassion and empathy more broadly. To connect with Jennifer Steller, if you are a psych student at UTM, you can join her social psychology course, her emotions course, which she mentioned runs in the winter. And she also does seminars on morality and leads talks with the community. And lastly, she also has a website where you can learn more about her research and connect with her, which we will link everything in the podcast description. And that is it for today. I'm your host, Elisa. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope that there was something that resonated with you today or that you just enjoyed the stories and the conversations. It feels really weird because I'm sitting in my room talking to myself, but I'm trying to pretend like I'm speaking to all of you listeners. Anyways, um, if there was anything that did resonate with you or if you wanted to share your own advice um, or experiences, feel free to share that with us in our Discord channel or, or our Instagram. And also just a reminder that our mental health issue is out on stands or on our website, so please check that out and you can check out the article that Charles also wrote. Lastly, thank you so much to Professor Jennifer Steller for everything, for your time and the conversation and all the advice and wisdom that you have given based on your research and also a huge thank you to Jaros for taking time out of your day also to speak with us and for sharing all the stories that I think a lot of people will relate to um, regarding classes relationships and even course change uh, program changes if um, anyone else has had that as well um, so just so you know, in our next episode, our opinion editor, Aroni, will be taking over with our one of our columnists named Aya, and they're going to be talking about what makes something newsworthy. Give me a second. I actually have a little excerpt that she gave me to read. What makes something newsworthy? As a news publication, we make decisions every week on which stories we want to share with our readers. But what goes behind those decisions? 
we will discuss the complexities around the media industry in determining newsworthiness and how power and politics can play into it. And so I'm really excited for this episode because obviously the medium is also a news source and so we'll just be thinking critically about what makes something newsworthy and also hear about Aroni's experience as opinion editor and how she chooses the pitches that she does along with her columnist Aya who will be joining her and they will be interviewing one of their professors. Um, and lastly, don't forget to get a copy of The Medium's latest issue, the mental health issue on stands. And I think that is it for now. Thank you so much for joining and we will talk soon. Bye.